What's going on out there? What is happening out there in the rest of the internet world? How you doing? It is me. It is me, the big old Stevie C, kicking it with you on a Sunday afternoon right before a WWE pay-per-view, WrestleMania Backlash, one of the worst conceived ideas for a name for a pay-per-view since, oh well, Great Balls of Fire. And it's me again, Stevie C, bringing you the Heel and Face podcast brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. How you doing, everybody? Let's go. Let's get it. This is going to be a really long show today. I know that. Uh, let me adjust this for you so you can see all of my beautiful glory. And uh, I know I've been trying to keep them short. And then I say things like, oh, I want to keep it short. And I go long anyway. But I'm really uh, not going to try to go super long because there isn't a lot of news. Just a lot of news to discuss. Plus, we also have, unfortunately, the passing of another uh, legend in the world of professional wrestling. And... Of course, as I promised, my review of Fusion 131, especially as big as it was, the final finale. I know it's kind of old news now, but we can go ahead and still discuss it because now I'm caught up in MLW. Plus, I checked out NXT, and let's not forget, like I said, I'll have my predictions for tonight's WWE pay-per-view WrestleMania backlash. So that's all what's in store for you guys to enjoy, whether you're watching this live on Facebook right now, or whether you're checking me out on my other social media sites like Mines, like Twitter, like Locals, etc., 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 and of course all my podcast audio podcast streaming services like Spotify, Anchor, Stetcher, all the other ones that you Apple Podcasts, all the ones to access my beautiful dulcet tones with. You can get a hold of me that way. And it's only doing it just for you guys because um, that's how I roll. And I want to be everywhere and all things to all people. So I want to get everything out there and I want you to enjoy discussing pro wrestling with me. So if you want to comment, please do so. Go ahead and I try to check as frequently as I can the discussions on the page to see who's watching and who's listening. Uh, I can only check the heel and face one. I can't check the heel turn wrestling one. So if you want to comment, comment on the heel and face side. You definitely can be welcome to do that. Plus, not only my page, but speaking of heel turn wrestling, you can always check out the brand. You can always check out the number one fastest growing professional wrestling news and information and commentary social media site. That's right here on Facebook at Heel Turn Wrestling. Just go to Facebook and just... Type HT Wrestling 316. It's HT Wrestling 316, or you can just click on or around my page. I'm sure I have a link on my page, Straight to Heel Turn. Uh, you can check out all the other great podcasters. There's a really great heartfelt moment on um, killing the business with Kingpin Angel, talking about uh, the uh, unfortunate death of his friend. Who we'll uh, discuss in detail in just a few minutes. You can check out all of Piers Austin's other podcasts on Heel Turn Wrestling. Uh, frankly, uh, you're not going to go wrong with any of them. We've got to the turnbuckle. The boys were back last week, and uh, the show did not disappoint whatsoever. We've got my awesome show. We've got the Wrestling 2020 show, the trivia show on Sunday mornings here, stateside, and of course. The man, the myth, the ideal, the legend, 
Billy Alexander and his shows, The Franchise Takes Five and Behind the Mic. Plus, he just took a trip for a charity for wrestling for a cure down to Missouri and had an amazing time and it was for an amazing cause. And uh, so props, shout out to him for doing that, taking his promotion down there and mixing it up with some guys in a promotion uh, a couple of states away. So shout out to all that. And you can, again, get all that goodness. As soon as I say it, it goes up on the magic crawl, just like you could see right there. Follow Heel Turn Wrestling at HD Wrestling 316 for all your news information. Oh, I can't forget the dank memes either. Adam and Leo and the fellas in the dank meme department, the meme gods uh, basically are just trolling the internet to troll everybody, and we like it, so check them out as well. While you're there, you know this is what we're going to do. Support the brand. That's right. You like the show? Fantastic. I appreciate you liking the show. Do all the likes and shares and all that stuff, but if you really want a physical representation of how much you enjoy this program and other programs that we put out on Heel Turn Wrestling, then go to the store. Why wouldn't you? That's right. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com and you can search Heel Turn Wrestling and we've got our shirts there. We have Billy Alexander, the franchise takes five. We have Alcoholic Adam with his amazing blogs. I think he's going to rebook WrestleMania 38. I think that's his next adventure, so stay tuned for that. You can rep the whole brand, Heel Turn Wrestling. I'm going to get a little bit of money now that this uh, taxes and the stimulus and what all that's in, so I think I'm going to get myself another brand shirt to uh, rep uh, the joint. And of course, if I may say so myself, you can also purchase the best looking, the most handsome, the most fly, the most flossy, whatever you want to call it, t-shirt in the entire store at ProWrestlingTees.com. That's right, the Heel and Face Podcast t-shirt. So whichever one you approve of, whichever one, you should really eventually buy all four. But, you know, hey, if you're going to start off with one, I wouldn't mind you starting off with Heel and Face. That'd be great. All your friends are doing it, and it'll make you feel good. So there you go. All that stuff is out of the way. Thanks for tuning in again to the show, and we're just going to get right to the news. Um, we have to start on a somber note. And uh, thankfully, I didn't do this section for a while, but now the time has come. Unfortunately, another uh, pro wrestler has left us too, too soon, and it kind of doesn't come as a real shock or surprise, unfortunately. If you've watched the show about him, the vice dark side of the ring with New Jack, and then kind of file, find out and follow what he's been doing uh, over the past couple of years... Um, I don't want to be negative and say, well, it's not a surprise or a shock, but uh, certainly uh, this is kind of sad news, and that is that ECW legend New Jack, real name Jerome Young, passed away a few days ago. I think it was Thursday or Friday, and it was a real shock to everybody in the sense of how sudden it came. And uh, uh, his wife uh, notified different respectable um, outlets like TMZ Sports and whatnot, I think she may have even gotten a hold of Wade Keller or uh, uh, or Dave Melter or somebody just so uh, the real story can go through proper channels. But in fact, ECW legend Jerome Newjack Young passes away at the age of 58. And since we haven't done one of these in a while either, I'm going to go ahead and I am going to nominate uh, Newjack as the superstar of the week because you know his he may not have set the world on fire as far as 
winning titles go. He didn't necessarily, uh, you know, become the big draws that say maybe in the 90s, 80s and 90s, that say maybe Hogan or uh, Flair or Savage or Nash or Hall were. But in terms of, I think, his importance to the whole alternative movement scene, I think New Jack definitely holds water. And you can object or you can be upset or frustrated by how he kind of lived his personal life. You can talk about maybe he took a little too much liberty in the ring. Maybe sometimes he let his emotions carry him over. Um, I'm sure there are not as many fans of his that uh, everybody in the wrestling world would like you to believe. I'm sure Vic Grimes is no fan of his. But his impact on how the wrestling business changed in the 90s and what he did for the business should not go understated. So real quick before we kind of unpack that statement that I just made, I just want to give you his quick curriculum vitae, so to speak, his resume. Of course, he's three-time ECW uh, World Tag Team Champion, two with Mustafa Saeed and one with John Kronos. I remember that was pretty awesome because that was a whole buildup of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And we know that Mustafa Saeed was kind of souring on the business. He really didn't want to wrestle anymore. He just lost it, his passion for it. So he kind of was weeded out a little bit. I think he might have been injured too, actually. It wasn't bringing him what he thought it was going to bring him. And New Jack still kind of stuck around. And uh, there was a huge thing between the gangsters and uh, the Eliminators. And it ended up you know, with Perry Saturn leaving for WCW, there was kind of a vacuum. And like I said, that became a pretty cool dynamic of, uh, you know, we fought each other so hard, tooth and nail, but uh, now we're going to become friends. And uh, that was a really good tag team, despite uh, everything coming together the way it did. You know, he was the Smoky Mountain Tag Championship once with Mustafa Saeed. He didn't stay very long in Smoky Mountain, as far as that goes. Paul pretty much snatched him up for ECW almost after the loss in Smoky Mountain. But Smoky Mountain is also where New Jack cut a lot of his great promos. I don't know if you all are aware or if you had any idea about some of those promos of Smoky Mountain. They're starting to circulate. So if you go on wrestling Twitter or if you really search the internet long enough, you'll find people who are definitely bringing all of New Jack's old promos to the fore, which is kind of a sad state of how the internet is going. I guess it's a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. Snake, uh, double-headed snake, so to speak, that we love the past because it was more fun and it was more real and it was more authentic, which was what New Jack was. But also, a lot of that stuff wouldn't fly. A lot of things he said wouldn't fly. A lot of the things that he did wouldn't, wouldn't be appropriate for obvious reasons. Even Paul Heyman mentioned him, and, and Paul Heyman got to do a very nice five-minute tribute at the end of Talking Smack to New Jack. And if you have time, go back and watch that, maybe before the pay-per-view. Go back and watch that, because it was really entertaining and it was really nice. Um, there aren't very many times, I guess, when Paul Heyman uh, it can be seen crying, uh, you know, in reality. Especially when he's on as Paul Heyman, the personality. But he was pretty much moved to tears. And I think that is a way better indicator of how much you mean to somebody when your best friends and the people that know you the most almost break down in tears trying to praise you. 
if you go on wrestling Twitter, you don't see a whole lot of, oh man, that new Jack, you know, he took liberties and he uh, took the match over because he didn't want to be there and he lit my eyebrows on fire and then he shoved, uh, uh, you know, nacho sauce down my throat and a hot dog up my ass. Sorry for cussing, but I was in the flow of it. Uh, well, you don't have a lot of those guys. Yeah, you have a couple of outliners. Again, I hate to pick on it, but the whole Vic Grimes incident was not great. Uh, the mass transit incident was not great as well. I'm not going to you know, necessarily blame Shift, but we all know that that whole mass transit situation was sad, yet it was also should have never happened. It was a joke. Uh, almost everybody was wrong on that. And really, the only one who wasn't wrong in that instance was New Jack because he was just doing what he does and... You know, the kid, God rest his soul, probably be in his mid to late 30s right now. Um, he was a 16-year-old, 400-pound wrestling fan who had it in his mind that he could do it, having no previous experience in a ring, having uh, no training whatsoever, very barely having any athletic experience at all. I mean, come on. It wasn't like he was, you know, Braun Strowman uh, or, uh, or Big Show 400 pounds. He was like... Uh, me 400 pounds, right? So uh, it was a whole messed up situation. There was proof that the father and the brother of the kid kind of egged him on to do it and, and took advantage of him being a wrestling fan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, there's a lot of it was Paul Heyman not exactly vetting him, just basically pulling a kid off the street who looked like he was a grown man. And so there was a lot going wrong in that instance. Again, not necessarily defending things that happened, nor blaming the uh, involuntary manslaughter of a... Uh, kid who you know wanted to follow his dream in professional wrestling uh but i don't think that that should necessarily cloud new jack and his legacy of what he did for the wrestling business and what he did was he grabbed a hold of the right place and the right time i'm a firm believer that the alternative movement of the 90s wasn't just based for music or art or politics or anything like that it was in wrestling as well and you know i hate to sound like an AW fan necessarily, but wrestling is kind of an art form and it reflects society just as well as anything else does. And at the time when you had the Rodney King trial, OJ Simpson, racial unrest everywhere, the country felt like it was being torn apart. You had reality TV starting with cops. You had different ways of looking at things. You had groups like Nirvana, Soundgarden, um, Pearl Jam, and Smashing Pumpkins, led by the president of the NWA, William Corgan. But you also had bands like NWA. You had Ice Cube, Ice-T. You had all of these bands kind of coming together, and one from the rap, some from the rap hip-hop community kind of crossing over with some from the rock and the metal uh, sphere of, you know, or alternative, I should say. Not metal, alternative. But uh, And, and those, those kind of coming together at the right time and you saw a lot of the problems with society because people were rejecting you know the 70s and 80s people were rejecting the whole aesthetic of a corporate uh you know speak and uh you know straight lace oxford shoes oxford collars argyle socks etc etc greed is good and all that and people were really starting to reject that in the 90s that was part of the alternative movement. I don't want to get on too much of a rant, only to relate it back to pro wrestling. That pro wrestling got grittier, pro wrestling got dirtier, pro wrestling changed with the times and went with what the fans were wanting, which is more of a realistic, almost hyper-realistic form of professional wrestling. And Buddy and New Jack 
they got it. New Jack wasn't afraid to use anything he could to get over with a crowd, especially during the 90s. He would habitually wear OJ Didn't Do It t-shirts. He uh, would come in. He originally came in, you know, to like uh, NWA, censored NWA music, and uh, then they finally got him uh, his own thing. And then in ECW, they came in with Natural Born Killers, which uh, Paul Heyman's own admission never really got 100% of the rights to that song. So, uh, for, you know, for New Jack to come in, and like I said in the description of the show, one of my favorite quotes from him from a Smoky Mountain uh, promo was, I got a college education and a criminal record. And if that wasn't a perfect way to speak to the 90s, to speak to the alternative movement, to speak to what was going on in the world in the 90s at the time, he found it. He was pitch perfect. Uh, he knew, he and Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette gets a lot of credit for that too, a lot of blame for stuff too, because as you know, ironically enough, one of the friendships that he's had for the longest time in professional wrestling, I'm talking about New Jack, was in fact with Jim Cornette, oddly enough, but Jim let him be New Jack, and you know, he was able to voice his displeasure as an African-American male growing up in the streets, even though he's from Greensboro, North Carolina, to express himself as a black male, because he lived segregation in the South. He lived all that stuff. And the only way that he could get heat as a pro wrestling heel is by bringing kind of truth to light in a, in a lot of ways, in a weird way. So by speaking to Southern audiences in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, and uh, other uh, places in the South where he could call out white people and he could say things like, uh, thank you, my brother OJ, getting rid of of whitey there's two less white people we have to worry about now and just firing up the crowd that way perfect perfect pitch uh it took a lot of guts for jim Cornette to let him do what he wanted to do but it also took a lot of guts to kind of go with it a lot of really smart instinctual stuff and that's another thing that new jack doesn't get credit for you know he gets the credit for a lot of the hardcore stuff he gets credit for a lot of the um you know a lot of the violence that he portrayed but you know, he doesn't get uh, nearly enough credit for all the smart promos that he had, for all the smarter decisions that he made as, as a wrestler, too. How he marketed himself, how he always put himself on the outside as the other in ECW, how, you know, he was a loose cannon, how he couldn't be controlled. How even after he was done with the gangsters, he still uh, struck fear in people's hearts. Once Natural Born Killers hit, you know it was your ass. That's probably the second time I'm going to cuss in the podcast today, so forgive me. I'm really not trying, but just shout out again to New Jack and uh, what he did for wrestling, what he did for uh, pro wrestling in the 90s. I'm not saying he had nearly as much an impact, say, as Stone Cold Steve Austin did, but as far as bringing flavor to ECW, bringing something real to wrestling, making wrestling kind of real again, he deserves way more credit than he got, and it's unfortunately that the same types of demons that affect most professional wrestlers finally caught up with him, too. So rest in peace, rest in power, my man, New Jack, gone too soon. All right, so that's kind of all I wanted to say about New Jack. And there's, you know, lots of change, lots of turmoil going on in the world of professional wrestling and it's unfortunately not just well I don't know depending on your opinion about it it isn't just uh, it's, it's good bad and different I don't know we'll have to figure this out 
and I'm going to go into a terrible segue here, but uh, it's not just the death of uh, pro wrestlers that's happening right now. Uh, it's the death of relationships. I know that was really awkward and bad, and I'm nominating myself for the absolute worst um, segue of the year. But I could find no other way to do it other than there's more things dying than just pro wrestlers in pro wrestling. It seems like the relationship between the elite is now dying. So you've seen and heard the rumors that, according to Wade Keller from uh, Pro Wrestling Torch, he is reporting that the EVPs of AEW are not on even speaking terms due to creative differences. And I don't know if it's rumor. It's probably more than rumor at this point. Um, if you pay attention to this sort of thing, and I kind of don't, I'm going to be honest, I really don't. But uh, if you pay attention to this sort of thing, uh, Cody hasn't been on being the elite in a very long time. Uh, they, I guess, have not been speaking to each other. I don't even think the Bucks are speaking to Kenny Omega which is weird. They say that there's three different creative ideas on where the business should go. There weren't a lot of details, so nobody really knows a lot of the details. Probably just Wade Keller is probably the best on it right now. And of course, you're going to get some speculation from Uncle Dave, I'm sure. He'll weigh in on it. But it seems like the bloom is off the rose. And it seems like guys who've never run a wrestling promotion in their lives, who randomly came together a year and a half ago, now, all of a sudden, are stuck for whatever it is they're stuck on and uh, not communicating it very well. And I have to wonder if this doesn't have to do with a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of true colors of some people coming out. Again, this is mostly speculation. I'm not sitting here saying that I know 100% of what's going on behind the scenes in AEW. I would love to hear what... Uh, Heel Turn Wrestling's resident AEW fan, uh, bruiser, uh, Jason McCarthy has to say on to the turnbuckle on Tuesday about this uh, situation. Probably overblown. The Young Bucks have been known to work things before. I mean, they're uh, all masters at working social media. They even uh, changed their bio on their Twitter page to say, not on speaking terms. These guys play with the media play with the reactions on social media almost to a fault almost to their own detriment not just the young bucks do we know kenny omega trolls everybody as well you know uh, it was clear that uh the young bucks take every chance to troll jim Cornette that they can and you know kenny omega took the opportunity to troll bully ray by wearing all the belts after uh bully bubba whatever you want to call him came out on Busted Open Radio on uh, SiriusXM and basically said that putting the belt on a nobody like uh, Michael uh, Nakazawa is uh, completely disrespectful, and if I was TNA, I'd be highly upset. So if we're going to go on speculation and we're going to go on that this is true and that they are not talking to each other, this has got to be because, again, all three entities, and I'm just going to group the Young Bucks together as one entity, that all three entities have three uh, very different visions of what AEW should be. It looks like there's pressure to continue the product. 
Uh, there's also been rumors that TNT might be interested in actually buying the product completely out and, God forbid, actually injecting some writers. How ironic would that be? Uh, that TNA would want to copy, or uh, TNT would want to copy what WWE is doing and insert that in AEW. Uh, Cody's been getting on and shooting some really weird promos about, you know, his priorities and his life and at home, and he wants to leave a legacy that his daughter will be proud of, etc., etc., etc. Meanwhile, the Young Bucks are too busy wearing uh, designer Nikes. And Kenny Omega looks like he, after all, is all about himself and basically invented AEW to give himself a belt. And so he didn't have to work in Japan anymore. I don't know. I mean, that's what all it would outwardly look to me. And again, I'm just a guy in his basement talking wrestling. And in full disclosure, I'm not the biggest fan of AEW. That much is true. But I think it's really weird that when you get these guys who, you know, were so jacked and excited about their vision of what professional wrestling is and what it could be and what it should be, and seemingly they were all on the same page, I think their motives were not as pure as they may have started this venture out with. Whether you're Cody Rhodes continuing your axe to grind against Vince McMahon and WWE, whether you're the Young Bucks who are constantly trying to stick it to promoters like Jim Cornette and uh, Gabe Sapolsky and other people who were running uh, Ring of Honor or other promotions to Kenny Omega just going full, this is all about me and this is a vehicle just all about me. Or whether I just said everything is complete hogwash. The point is, the bloom is seemingly off the rose, and we'll see what happens to this company. They need to find somebody, not just, quote-unquote, Booker of the Year Tony Khan. They need to find somebody back there or hire somebody who has experience running a professional wrestling promotion so everybody can be on the same page, so everybody can be doing the same thing, everybody have the same vision. Curiously enough, I just read, that Don Callis has officially left Impact. And the rumors are now that he's just going to move right into a production slash management job very much similar to what he did in Impact for AEW. Don Callis has a mind for the business. He has a brain for the business. He is completely intelligent. The only issue is he may be so caught up in Kenny Omega that he might not be able to manage correctly. So time will tell, and we'll all see what happens when this all plays out. I just hope that just for the sake of competition, sake of monopoly, the sake of business, I just really hope that they all figure it out and they write the ship and they have some direction and have some purpose and... Uh, Every match isn't an eight-man tag match where everybody and their mother does a dive and that actual professional wrestling comes back in the form of AEW. So we'll see. I'm still holding out hope, even though I'm no longer a fan, per se. But we'll hold out hope that somebody would be able to write the ship that is called AEW. Well, let's get to it. Somebody who knows what he's doing is Court Bauer. 
And Court Bauer is the owner and CEO of Major League Wrestling. And Major League Wrestling had its season finale, MLW Fusion 131, last week, two weeks ago. Because if you follow their schedule, they have a live show, and then they uh, they run a couple of underground shows, and then they, I don't know, they do like a best of or something, and then they come back with another show. Uh, MLW is getting ready to ramp up from the whole COVID thing. Restrictions are being lifted everywhere. States are now completely open. Florida, Texas, other places are open. And MLW is about ready to start barnstorming selected big cities. They're going to be in Dallas, and they're going to be in Chicago in November. And I'm really going to try to go to that uh, show. I'm going to try to sucker somebody into going with me to see MLW. Uh, I'd love for them to come to Cleveland or Cincinnati or Columbus. I don't know if we're big enough. Uh, you could probably talk somebody into coming to Columbus because Columbus and Dayton are pretty hot wrestling markets. So uh, we'll see. But MLW finished their season two weeks ago and you know, uh, let me tell you, brother, the show was shocking at the end. The show was a great way to finish. Uh, some things are really setting up. They're going to have a super show uh, at the famous 2300 Arena in Philadelphia next month or in July, I think, uh, when things are finally open. I'm sure they're going to have... Uh, very, very tight COVID restrictions because I don't think Pennsylvania is necessarily open to 100%, but they're very close right now. And uh, except for maybe uh, some issues that I had with the first match of the show, uh, again, a really enjoyable program, a really enjoyable way, a great way to kick off the uh, season and a tease for next season. As you know, you've been following, I know it's old news right now, but as you know, Selena De La Renta was a woman without a country. At first, she started off with Contra kind of being Contra's secret operative. And then when that got exposed by Conan, she had nowhere else to go and she turned to El Jefe, the dark ruler of Azteca Underground. So she became the mouthpiece for them and infiltrated, tried to infiltrate Contra, that didn't work, tried to infiltrate MLW, uh, that didn't work. And unfortunately, the time has come. She was given an ultimatum by El Jefe to either produce winners and be on the side of the Parks and, and get them to, be, to, to, to their glory, or she will be dealt with. And that's pretty ominous, and that's a lot of pressure, because leading up to this point, Selena De La Renta did not have a lot of wins to string together, a lot of positives happening with the Leparks. So uh, this was it. Uh, two weeks ago was it for her. And now uh, this is where we're opening. We're getting a word that El Jefe will finally reveal himself to Major League Wrestling. And Selena De La Renta will finally meet her reward, I guess for all of her issues. But before we get to that, of course, we have to talk about the first match was a Laredo kid sporting the AAA belt versus Gringo Loco, a guy who's been around for a while and and he's fun and he's entertaining and he seems like he puts on a good match every time he comes out. But he also obviously gets stuck with a lot of the luchadors. Uh, he, has a, he has a lot of experience working in Mexico, working as a luchador. He 
apparently brought uh, lucha wrestling to a lot of the underground Chicago uh, wrestling scene. He even calls himself the base god. And we'll see how he did in this match. Was actually um, was actually pretty good. Uh, the only problem I had was Laredo Kid. Didn't seem like he wanted to be there. I don't know why he was, you know, wrestling or not. Uh, it seemed like it was kind of an unimaginative match for a Lucha match. Maybe I'm used to something about Lucha that I didn't see in this match with Laredo Kid. I know he tends to have pretty good matches. He's pretty athletic, and he really takes being a luchador seriously. But it just seemed like at some point, I think in this match, there were four straight arm drags. And I think they were just kind of painting by the numbers. I don't know if it was a case where Gringo Loco had a uh, size advantage or not. Uh, Gringo Loco, probably about 20 to 30 pounds heavier than Laredo Kid. So that could have been a factor as to why there were certain spots there. I know that uh, there were some awesome parts like some uh, uh, the top rope Spanish fly that Laredo Kid threw on. Gringo Loco for the pin. That was pretty dope. Um, I know uh, that uh, there was some pretty good action along the, the ropes and stuff, some pretty good dives, but then again, like I said, there were some repetitive matches and um, things didn't look as crisp or sharp as they could. And I know that there are critics of MLW out there saying that it just looks sloppy and grungy and all that stuff. This is the kind of direction that they're going. They're not shy about being as hyper-realistic as possible. If we're going to talk about New Jack bringing realism, injecting realism back into wrestling, well, MLW lives it. And it might not be the prettiest matches that you've seen, might not be the most technically sound matches that you'll see, but certainly they'll be entertaining and they'll have a different kind of vibe that you're used to, which is why I dig MLW. But the only issue, again, is, is that this kid, the Laredo kid, uh, kind of slept walk through the match, didn't really do a lot for me as far as entertainment value, but he got the win. And you would think, being the representative of AAA in the company, that he would try to like put on, I'm not saying Dave Meltzer-style 5, 7, 8, 12-star matches, but I'm talking about at least have a consistent effort of putting matches together that make you look like a star. But we'll see. Maybe I completely interpreted that incorrectly, and I do apologize to Laredo Kid if, in fact, I did something incorrectly or said something ignorantly. One thing that is definitely not ignorant and definitely not cause for misconstruence is Alexander Hamilton cutting a promo backstage on Jacob Fatu, the MLW heavyweight champion and Contra unit. But it was really interesting because his promo, he geared it more not towards Jacob Fatu, he geared it towards Joseph Samel and the fact that he thought Joseph Samel was the one who was keeping Fatu away from him, not because he thinks Fatu is scared of Hammerstone, but deep down, Samel knows that Hammerstone can beat Fatu. So I thought that was a really interesting take from Hammerstone. He kind of put over Fatu not being scared, because you know what it is. The typical wrestling promo is, you don't want to fight me. You're hiding behind your manager. You don't want to fight me. You know I can beat you. You're cowardly. But an interesting wrinkle that uh, Hammerstone put on it by not calling out Fatu, you know, acknowledging that he's uh, a bad dude and acknowledging that he's the champ for a reason. But actually going to the Joseph Samel card, the reason why Joseph Samel has been the one pulling the strings at MLW uh, with the contracts that he's created and signed, with the fact that deep down Samel knows 
that Fatu can't beat him. So I thought that was a really interesting take on it. And it's going to happen, and it's going to blow up, and that match is going to be super, super dope when it finally happens. The Open Heavyweight Champion, Alexander Hammerstone versus Jacob Fatu. The blow-off for this match is going to be so incredibly good. Uh, can't wait to, to watch it. Uh, then we see uh, Alicia Toot making the announcements, saying, of course, that Semel has uh, control of MLW, and he can pull the strings. And Semel basically said, Hammerstone can talk all he wants, but I got the power. Um, the only match that uh, Semel doesn't have control over is the upcoming Battle Riot winner, who will get a chance at the MLW Heavyweight Championship. So that's something to look forward to. And there's also going to be an open draft on YouTube. Uh, and that's going to include all free agents and talents who have worked with MLW over the course of the last couple of years. So that's going to be real interesting to see. Um, speaking of interesting, we left uh, Marshall Von Erich with an injured knee at the hands of Tom Lawler. And... He said he's going to stay in Hawaii and rest up, but when he comes back, he's going to go full force to quote the great Jumpin' Jim Farmer at Lawler, and this is going to be not just a wrestling match. This is going to be a fight, so looking forward to that. Next match. Oh, by the way, that's going to be July 10th at, again, like the 2300 Arena, the famous quote-unquote ECW Arena in Philadelphia. Uh, the next, we have... Uh, Richard Holiday, and is basically in a uh, squash against Ariel Dominguez, who I like. He had, I think, he was in the Cruiserweight Classic a couple years ago. Uh, nice guy, sticks around MLW. He's a he's a nice talent enhancer, but uh, you know, no match for uh, Richard Holiday, who then came out to sing his own praises as you do. And as that was happening. His former Dynasty partner, Gino Medina, came out and attacked him from behind as he was being interviewed by Alicia Toot, and they hit him with a DDT on the floor, saying that their feud is not over, and it's not over by any means. Uh, two weeks previously, Medina and Holiday had a fight, had a match together, and Holiday won to retain his uh, Caribbean championship. There was a report that Richard Holiday is hospitalized, so we're not 100% sure whether or not he'll be able to defend the belt or not. Maybe they'll make it an angle where Gino Medina can get it after uh, Holiday has to give it up. Who knows? I don't think they'd be giving it up necessarily right before uh, a big uh, event in July. But, you know, who's uh, we'll, we'll see. Now, the main event. What can I say? The main event of the evening was the second match, the rematch for the MLW Middleweight Championship as a champion Leo Rush took on Myron Reed. Now say what you want about Leo Rush. He's 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 a different cat, you know, that's what the idea about him is. That's what the rules or that's what uh, everybody says about him. That he kind of marches to his own trap house beat, so to speak. And maybe being such a free agent, being able to go wherever he wants and do whatever he wants in professional wrestling is actually better for him. Maybe that's a better showcase of who he is than being stuck in WWE, kind of uh, rushed 
pardoned upon into WWE, I think a little f quicker than he was expecting to. I think things, unfortunately for him, went sour quickly. And I hope there isn't a bridge bird there because I'd love to see him back at some point. I know he gets on people's nerves. He says dumb things. He does dumb things. But as Triple H and Vince often say, never say never. Well, Leo Rush comes out to defend his middleweight championship against Hot Fire, that young goat, Myron Reed. And you know what? I mean, again, not going to give this five, ten stars or whatever. But for a match that was not necessarily meant to be a blow-off or a match that, you know, a way to end season, the season of MLW was perfectly done, and this was how it was done. Uh, you know, they, they, they didn't go into it right away. It wasn't a hot start. It wasn't a fast start. They felt each other out. There was actual wrestling for the first four or five minutes of the match, if you could believe that. Um, I know, when, when you think middleweights or cruiserweights, and you think indie darlings like Myron Reed and Leo Rush, your your first reaction is usually, oh my gosh, they were probably doing top rope arm drags for the first 30 seconds of the match. But uh, that uh, was thankfully not true. Uh, a lot of great wrestling from both Leo Rush and Myron Reed on the mat. They took their time. They did the psychology of it. Uh, the announcers did a good job of hyping the psychology too, right, about how they know each other. They felt each other out. They're not strangers to seeing each other fight. They're not just going to go for each other's move. And I think that was another nice exchange because after the wrestling started, or after uh, the, the kind of the chain wrestling was over, the feeling out process was over, then they did a couple of minutes of... Uh, you're not going to hit me with your spot. So they did a lot of exchange of ducks and feints, and I'm getting out of the way of this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. And that really made made a lot of sense because that's part of the chess match too. Okay, we've moved from the trying to out-wrestle you to the out-move you, and uh, they both did that great. Like, uh, just just real classic stuff from them, uh, missing each other's kicks and feints and and missing each other's moves and, and one-upping each other, uh, not touching each other. That was a great part of the psychology of the match. Then, you know, we move into, okay, so uh, the heel, and technically Leo Rush is working heel, I would assume, uh, you know, starts getting the better of, uh, of Myron Reed. Uh, Leo Rush tagged him a couple of times, uh, got him down in wrist locks and stuff, and then the fun began. Then they started flying all over the place, and the action was really too much almost to call. I know that there were some great moves. Um, uh, standing Spanish fly... A lot of dives. Myron Reed almost killed himself. He was this close from landing. This close. I mean, this close. I'm not going to go this close or this close. This close to killing himself. He landed on the parquet part of the floor, the hardwood part of the floor. But he was able, thankfully, to tuck his neck quickly enough to catch the lip. Yes, the lip. We're not even talking about the lip. We're talking about, like, the tiny hair on the lip of the padding outside the ring. So he didn't kill himself. That's great, uh, thankfully. And then he sold it pretty well, too, or not, because after he got up, he rolled through and then got right back up and started firing up. So he was either running on adrenaline or he was trying to play off the fact that he uh, basically crashed his head onto the uh, the concrete floor. Um, and I don't think it was anything where Leo Rush didn't catch him or anything like that. I just think that there was an awkward dive and he kind of landed. I mean, I even saw it coming. When he, when he was flying through, you knew it was not going to be good and he wasn't going to be able to catch, I'm sorry, make it to Leo Rush. Uh, again, there's nothing that Leo Rush did, didn't not sell the move or whatever. Uh, he tried it as best as he could. But again, once you're over, once, once your head is facing south, 
you don't have much uh, to go from there. Um, again, the guys were putting on some amazing uh, moves uh, on each other. It's fascinating. A lot of uh, really good storytelling. A lot of the you can't beat me kind of stuff. So uh, fantastic uh, match. Really nice way to end the season. Uh, of course, uh, Reed hits both of his finishers, uh, including the no-cap cutter, which is what he is now finishing his matches with, uh, the springboard cutter from halfway across the ring, and there you go, one, two, three, and new MLW middleweight champion, that hot fire, that young goat, Myron Reed. So congrats to him for winning the belt. He is the only two-time champion in MLW, and it was super well-deserved. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Calvin Tankman and Jordan Oliver came from the back to celebrate. We don't know if Leo Rush is done with MLW or not. Hopefully there will at least be a Rush Reed 3. And then Leo Rush will get the opportunity to try to win the belt back. I know that MLW wants to make uh, Reed not only a showcase of its promotion, but also wants to kind of build around them. I know that they are starting a very subtle face turn, even though they probably are tweeners. I know Injustice is starting a slow face turn. I know Jordan Oliver kind of had a, a little bit of a face turn. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Maybe they'll just keep them tweeners. Uh, unlike the Dynasty, unlike Richard Holiday and Alex Hammerstone, who are obviously uh, baby faces now, yet to be seen what happens to Injustice and where they go from here. And that's not the only thing that happened. Because you might be thinking, wow, that's a lot. Having a great back-and-forth match that didn't get too ridiculous, that didn't get too flippy-do until the end when it was appropriate, should be enough. But oh no! Oh no, MLW fans, we have one more thing to discuss, which is we flash then to the end of MLW and we see a graphic of Boylan Heights. And you're thinking, where have we seen Boiling Heights before? Hmm. I wonder. And as you, as we see, we see Selena De La Renta pulled into the office as the mysterious figure El Jefe sits, of course, with his back turned because, you know, that's what evil uh, geniuses do. They don't reveal themselves until the last minute. Well, El Jefe's henchman, who had already kidnapped and absconded with Selena De La Renta before, now show up in this seedy office in Boylan Heights. And then El Jefe starts to speak. And to those of you who've been following Azteca Underground, you know who that is. As he slowly turns his chair around, it is none other than Dario Cueto. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. As we live and breathe, Dario Cueto has survived Lucha Underground. He has survived, at last we saw, I believe, his own death. And then he's come back, and now he is repurposed and refocused, and he is the unquestioned now leader of Aztec Underground. I think we've seen the last of Selena De La Renta. Unfortunately, she was not up to t the task of dominating and infiltrating MLW, so she is gone, and he's going to have to take over himself. So now we are left with a cliffhanger at the end of the season. That's right. What is the impact that Aztec Underground is going to have on MLW. 
are we still going to see uh, uh, a lot of the Lucha Underground wrestlers come back? Are we going to see uh, Mil Muertes? Are we going to see even scarier goons? Maybe uh, the, uh, the Montanza? Are we going to see all of these scary creatures reappear and take over MLW by force? And how are they going to co coexist with Contra? How is that going to happen? Who knows? All we know is the next season, they're going to have to answer some questions. And I'm definitely going to tune in to MLW to try to find the answers to those questions. Well, wow, that was uh, fantastic foray into everything else that's out there uh, that's not WWE-related in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick, quick break. And when we do, we'll come back and we'll discuss the WWE, including my random thoughts about NXT, how it went, and predictions for tonight's pay-per-view, WrestleMania Backlash. So stick around, please, for the second part of the Heel and Face podcast brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. All right, welcome back, everybody. I know this took a quick break or two. I'm going to try to get some better uh, material to fill in at the time. Uh, when I do, uh, you'll know, and it won't be so weird and awkward. But let's get to it. Again, follow me everywhere on social media. You can follow me on every social media outlet that you can find. All you need to do is search Heel and Face podcast, really. Heel and Face podcast here on Facebook. Uh, you Check out my Twitter handle. It's in my uh, name card. Check me out on Minds. Check me out on Locals. You can check me out everywhere. Or if you don't have time to watch the show live, you can stream it on all audio podcast streaming services. I just basically take the audio from the show and just upload it. So have fun looking for me there. And let's have fun and talk about, again, the best product that WWE puts out on a consistent basis, and that, of course, is NXT. I accidentally watched NXT. Honestly, I was only going to do, for um, focus on MLW this week, just because of timing, and I'm going through a lot. I'm going to a lot of, uh, thankfully, a little insight into my personal life. I've been going on a lot more uh, interviews, and I've been talking uh, to a lot of uh, schools, to apply to schools to uh, get possible uh, jobs back as a teacher. So I've been kind of busy with not really paying attention to WWE. Uh, however, I did have some time and I did check out this week's episode of NXT. And I also wanted to keep up with uh, what was going on in a tangential way. So I kind of had some context for tonight's disastrously named WrestleMania Backlash. So. Um, so last week on NXT, Austin Theory unfortunately fell backwards into a match with Karrion Cross, and it went exactly how you would expect it to have gone. I'm very worried about Austin Theory and the fact that he's too young to be a talent enhancer guy. I don't want WWE to kill his shine and turn him kind of into a goof, because when he broke into the scene, I mean, you know, when he was involved with Evolve and with Georgia and all that stuff... He was really killing it, and he was almost, I mean, he was one of the hottest free agents, and he was kind of like a wonderkind, and we know what happens when WWE gets a hold of anybody under 21 who has a proclivity for the business. You know, you know, talk Ken Dykstra, Ken Doan, who just 
retired, full-time retired from wrestling. I thought he had full-time retired from wrestling years ago, and I'm not trying to be funny, and I'm not trying to get over on Ken Doan. I've never met him. But apparently he had been taking bookings even up to, you know, like serious bookings up until last month when he decided that he's made enough money and he's successful in his other business ventures to not have to wrestle anymore. And talk about the biggest blown talent by WWE um, in the modern era. Uh, Ken Doan was a superstar, and they screwed him up royally. Um, thankfully, he was able not only to survive it, but to thrive it. And uh, God bless him in his efforts just recently retiring from full-time wrestling. And uh, now he's able to do his thing. He probably bought a bunch of Bitcoin and he's and we're, we're, uh, dog, doggy coin with Cameron Grimes and went to the moon. So God bless Ken Doan wherever he is. Uh, the problem with what the WWE did with him, kind of what they were doing with Leo Rush and now with Austin Theory is that they're using him up. And they're in danger of turning him into like talent enhancer guys. And I think that's dangerously where Austin Theory is right now. Yes, in two or three years, there's going to be a big blow up and a big blow off. And Austin Theory is going to be relaunched into the stratosphere after he feuds with Johnny Gargano and probably wins the North American title or something from him. But I think Austin Theory is just too good of a talent to uh, be fodder for the NXT champion. And that's kind of what he was. It was an extended squash. Chris uh, carry it crisscross. Whoa, where am I? I need another Red Bull. Cheers. Carrion Cross basically ragdolled him all uh, all match. Hit two Doomsday Saitos, uh, hit him with elbow drop. It was over. Uh, he got him on the ground, and his you know Muay Thai MMA background took in. He gave him a lot of uh, uh, twelve to six elbows, and uh, Austin Theory couldn't respond, so it was ruled a referee stoppage. Then, of course, Finn Balor came in and insisted on his rematch. So that's coming in the future. Um, hilarious ref spot ahead. And, again, this is what happens when you there's, – there's two sides of this token. There's the side of the WWE of, is starting to throw, throw more bones at the uh, indie guys by letting them do more goofy stuff. But the other half of that is, is that the only company that knows how to do it well is WWE and – I don't want to see too much comedy in WWE, but it invariably happens. But when it's done right, it's it's, it's pretty hilarious. And even I had to laugh. It was uh, MSK versus Brazango in a non-title match. And uh, uh, the referee uh, did a spot where he got caught in uh, in uh, Tyler Breeze being shot off the ropes. He had a really nice uh, leapfrog uh, and uh, got a little bit of fire in the match. I think that's pretty hilarious. Uh, it was a fun Exchange. It wasn't a title match. It wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, Brizango went heel on the young guys. It was just a, just a fun match. It was a feel a feel out match. A possibility of a match down the road where these guys are familiar with each other now, and and it'll be a lot easier in case maybe Brizango does go kind of heel and turn on them and want a uh, belt, want the belts again or whatever. But uh, as for right now, it's just kind of a, a fun match, and uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, I think. Um, they caught Tyler Breeze in a uh, blockbuster move, double team, and then they showed respect to each other. And then they got on and and they made it clear that they are looking for the, the chance to defend the titles against the God of Del Fantasma. You know, the white meat baby face challenging the heel team. You know, it's classic stuff. You can do whatever you want. You can 
say whatever you want. You can introduce whatever ideas or concepts what you want. But the one thing that never changes in wrestling, and I hate to sound like certain retired Southern wrestling personalities and promoters, but when you get to the basics of what wrestling is, white meat babyface versus heel, it works. So I will look forward to that. And I would like to see Legado del Fantasma uh, win the belts. If nothing else, I've been pulling for Raul Mendoza to something to happen to him for uh, years now. And hopefully he's got uh, his shot. Uh, speaking of ref stoppage, I guess that was the theme of the night because uh, Pete Dunne was looking for a fight. And he didn't care who it was. Leon Rush came and attacked him from behind, which is really weird that the baby face would attack Pete Dunne from behind, even though Leon Rush has definitely been doing this uh, uh, thing where uh, he's not taking any crap from anybody anymore. And apparently he's done with the Swerve Scott stuff. He attacked uh, uh, Pete Dunne from behind, but uh, again, it was kind of an extended squash because once Pete Dunne got a hold of Ruff, uh, he put him in a kind of a triangle choke, and then again, he rained down elbows as well, and the ref was forced to stop the match because Leon uh, could not fight back. Um, I was a little bit hyped for this next match, but it did not perform at all. I was a little upset. I was looking for better things, especially now that this is the women's time to shine. This wasn't the best match. I, again, we can't all be winners, right? We can't all have perfect matches every time. But the two women that pair, were paired together, kind of looking forward to a nice Haas fight. And it 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 was really kind of sloppy, kind of ugly. But it was uh, Mercedes Martinez finally challenging for the NXT Women's Championship against Raquel Gonzalez. Um, yeah, like I said, the match was kind of sloppy. It didn't really go anywhere. It, you know, it went back and forth. It was, it looked tough. It looked vicious. Uh, Martinez's uh, V-trigger knee strikes to Gonzalez on the ground, you know, uh, looked pretty, pretty sick. But, you know, other than that, Gonzalez put her away with a couple of, uh, a couple of one-handed powerbombs. One didn't look very good. Um, I don't know why they're calling them one-handed powerbombs. She's just... What about one hand? Just choke slam is fine. She's big and tall enough to be able to perform a choke slam. It's fine. Uh, I guess she's calling it the chingana bomb, but and I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that correctly. And I know it's not a nice word to say. At least it's kind of. It's on the edge of not nice words to say in Spanish, but it got the job done. The hype for this was way far out, out ugh, excuse me, way far exceeded the actual results, and the match was sad. And again, I feel badly for Mercedes Martinez. I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know if she's trying to just make as much money as she possibly can before she officially retires. I don't know. Maybe she's going to get a job training the other women at the Performance Center after this. Who knows? I just know that it's this would have been a perfect opportunity for Martinez to finally win. And then just carry the belt until uh, the next time. But it was not to be. So we'll just move on. Uh, we saw, again, backstage segments with uh, Kushida, um, you know, saying it's, uh, you know, happy birthday to himself. Uh, you know, Johnny Gargano uh, is not happy. He confronted William Regal about having to fight Bronson Cage, Bronson Reed in a steel cage for the North American belt. Uh, again, I think this is something that NXT is even overusing a little bit. I don't know why it would be Johnny Gargano in a cage. I guess maybe because Johnny Gargano has set the precedent that he is Johnny TakeOver or Johnny NXT. So if that's the case, then I guess that's a yeah. 
Um, maybe Bronson Reed feels like it's his strength when Johnny Gargano can't go anywhere. I don't know. Uh, all I know is that's a thing. Zoe Stark cuts a really good promo about she wants Tony Storm and she's not going to get upstage to blah, blah. I really, I really enjoyed her. I, I'm digging her more every day. Uh, we're going to see, speaking of women's wrestlers, we're going to see the actual in-ring debut of Frankie Monet, the one wrestler that the WWE NXT name generator did not touch. And, of course, another confrontation between Cameron Grimes and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Uh, Cameron Grimes uh, attempted to buy a house that was up for auction on, uh, on the shore of Florida, and uh, he kept wondering who was driving up the price, who was driving up the price. Turned out it was the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, who threw out his catchphrase and laughed, and Cameron Grimes threw up his hands again at DiBiase. So there's an announcement that the Million Dollar Man will be making his appearance at NXT to confront Cameron Grimes next week, so I guess we'll tune in for that. I don't know if it's yet a good idea to associate yourself with Ted DiBiase. Maybe all of the charges against him and his son's uh, youth camp are now... Like, thrown out. I don't know if I would associate myself with DiBiase right now. It might be a bad time, but who knows? Maybe this is DiBiase needing some money to pay back some of the uh, the funds that he appropriated. Who knows? All I know is it's perfect serendipitous timing for Cameron Grimes. So we move on to that. To the new faction in NXT, Isaiah Swerve Scott brought a bunch of people with him. As you know, that's how he defeated Leon Ruff with the help of AJ Francis, former NFL uh Lineman and former talk show host, now trained to be the WWE. Now he's known as Top Dollar AJ Francis because everywhere he goes, he gets Top Dollar. Uh, joined by a female personality, former uh, rapper and dancer, former uh, Instagram celebrity, social media celebrity, now wrestler B-Fab, and Ashante the Adonis have all come together to form Hit Row. They make hits everywhere they go. Uh, they cut all their promos, and they actually look fresh and entertaining and interesting. And uh, it's a nice little heel faction. Uh, one thing that NXT has been missing, especially with the vacuum created by the demise of the Undisputed Era, is we need another heel faction. And this is a great way uh, to get Isaiah Swerve Scott. And hopefully this will stratify him into the at least North American, if not the NXT heavyweight title picture. So we shall see how that goes. Um, O'Neal Lorcan did not appreciate uh, being made fun of and being looked over by a cool O'Reilly, as I'm going to pin him. So he took on Kyle O'Reilly in a match that, you know, of course was hard hitting, very technical, uh, pretty awesome. Um, a lot of good work by O'Neal Lorcan. He again, you know, works the joints, uh, he was giving elbows to Kyle O'Reilly's knee because, you know, that's the vulnerable part. Sorry, there's a fly in here. Can't get rid of it. Uh, uh, cool O'Reilly is basically saying, I don't care what's going on. I know I'm all about me now, and I'm focused on the uh, NXT Heavyweight Championship belt, and I'll take out whoever's in the way. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of beating each other up, a lot of uh, painful-looking holds and whatnot. Uh, O'Reilly was able to finish... Lorkin off with a brain buster, and then uh, I guess O'Reilly's going to be using the diving knee as his finisher, which is what he used to get rid of Adam Cole, take him out of the picture at the la at stand and deliver. So, so that's going to be the thing. Of course, to stick up for his buddy, Oni Lorkin, 
Pete Dunne immediately stormed the ring and uh, beat Cool O'Reilly along with Lorcan on a two-on-one situation. And out of nowhere, a familiar face jumped back in the ring. That's right. Bobby Fish is back. And he's in the ring. And he's ready to go. And he defends his friend and former Undisputed Era teammate, Kyle O'Reilly. Well, the two had a standoff after they ran Dunn and Lorcan out. And Kyle turns to Bobby Fish and said, thanks, but I really didn't need it. And even, which is really interesting, because uh, an aspect of Bobby Fish that we haven't really seen is good guy Bobby Fish. So Bobby Fish came into the ring and he said to Kyle O'Reilly, he said, I know what you're going through. I know you're doing your own thing now. I need to do my own thing now. I just wanted you to know that I'm not going to leave you out here to get beat up by two guys. I'm going to have your back. So basically, basically said, He's going to have Kyle Riley's back, from, but from a distance. So I think that's really interesting. We haven't had, I don't think, ever in Bobby Fish's career, and I know it's winding down. I know he's uh, getting upwards to 40, and he's coming off a lot of injuries. I know that uh, Bobby Fish's career is winding down, and he's going to definitely find a job as an agent or as a trainer in the WWE. Uh, I know, like uh, Chelsea Green said, for a lot of wrestlers, just getting to the WWE was the goal. So I don't know anything about Bobby Fish's feelings personally, but I do know, or I'm at least confident in knowing that uh, the future is bright for Bobby Fish. And I'd love to see a singles run in some form, even if Bobby Fish never wins a, t a singles title, but has a lot of great matches with a lot of guys. Some guys who are similar to his age, similar to his style, who were working in Ring of Honor and all the other independents at the same time. Somebody who also has weird facial hair. Somebody who's also kind of a hipster. Somebody who also has a technical martial arts background and a striking background that's brought a hybrid style to wrestling. Somebody who was most recently had their contract for WWE run out. Huh. I wonder who that person could be that might give Bobby Fish a really good match in NXT. I don't know. That might be something to think about uh, for a later time. Uh, this was kind of a shocker. The main event was uh, Kushida and uh, Santos Escobar in a two out of three falls match for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. Um, so seemingly Kushida was at a disadvantage because Legado del Fantasma were still at ringside, but they were quickly dispatched out of nowhere, out of nowhere by MSK. So MSK comes in, takes those boys out, takes them to the back, and we finally get a one-on-one, -on -one, which was brilliantly done by the WWE and whoever's planning things out there. Brilliantly done, a nice way to get rid of it, so uh, the, the two other guys, so it could only be Escobar and Kushida. And boy, again, amazing match, a lot of fun. Uh, it kind of went the traditional thing of the heel gets the first match and then the babyface has to win the last two, which is exactly what happened. And I'm trying to uh, you know, speed it up because I know that not only I have to make my predictions, but also pay-per-view is going to start soon. But a uh, fantastic technical match. We already know that Santos Escobar is a star and he's not going anywhere. Uh, he may float around between main event to 205 and possibly shots on Raw and SmackDown, but we know he's not going anywhere at NXT. We know he's probably uh, next going to be interjected into the uh, North American title picture. We know he's got great matches, not just with Kushida, but with other guys uh, in the back to have. So we're not losing much by having Kushida uh, beat Escobar in kind of the blow-off of this feud, but we do uh, have uh, 
uh, we do have a future star in Santos Escobar. So he's not going anywhere. Um, the first fall was a phantom driver, but then uh, the second one, uh, Kushida got Escobar with the cross arm breaker, and then uh, uh, Kushida pulled off the uh, rolling uh, time splitter hoverboard lock uh, on uh, Escobar. Match just went back and forth for a while, a couple of false finishes, and then it ended with Kushida hitting a hammerlock suplex for the pin to keep the title. So uh, it was a good match, fun match to have. Uh, they're finally giving Kushida his due. I know they're afraid of what happened to Kenta and what happened to other Japanese wrestlers. They didn't want that to happen to Kushida. And Kushida deserves a lot better, too. Not saying that Kenta didn't deserve what he got. Certainly injuries and lackluster pushes did not uh, – Kenta did not deserve that. But um, – but at least Kushida is active, busy, he's not bored, and now he's going to basically claim uh, or, or state his claim as one of the best cruiserweights in the entire world, not just having uh, all the belts that he had in uh, New Japan, but now being WWE cruiserweight champion still. So uh, NXT was uh, you know, fine. It, it you know, didn't light the world on fire, but it was great in a lot of areas that it needed to be. Uh, the matches were up to snuff, and of course, uh, the whole... Uh, show as a whole is again the only thing that WWE is doing well right now. Uh, I'm going to stick by my uh, by my guns, and I'm only going to watch NXT and uh, main events. Possibly catch 205 Live. I know things are going on there as well. I know there was uh, somebody who suggested that the reason why those shows are good, getting good on the network, is because Peacock and WWE want to drive audiences toward the network. Well, duh. Again, it's what I've been saying for, for years now. You have a network where you can put cool stuff on there. Put cool stuff on there. I spent 15 minutes last week talking about how there should not only be another women's evolution pay-per-view, but there should also be a uh, uh, quadrannual, if that's even a word, four times a year uh, women's wrestling events on the network. But nobody cares what I, I think. I'm just a guy in his basement talking pro wrestling. But I'll tell you what, NXT 205 Live, and main event are probably the three best shows that the WWE produces. And that's not taken away. Speaking of women, speaking of women, they must have been hearing us talk about it because apparently I get it on SmackDown. Uh, Tamina and uh, 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 Natalia, Team BAD, Team Bad, are new women's tag team champions. Uh, so uh, congrats to them. Quick shout out to them. As much as I'm not paying attention to either one of the two quote-unquote major brands, I mean, there's still quality entertainment that the WWE can put out. It's just not for the public's 100% consumption. So I know I said it was a long one, and I'm finally done. My jaw's hurt. It's time to go. Besides, the pre-show is about to start. So for everyone at Heel Turn Wrestling and the Heel and Face podcast, it's your boy, Big Stevie C. We'll see you next week. Have fun, and as always, peace.